The show is Hitting the Mark. I'm the Mark, Jeffrey Mark. And I'm here with my friends, Ray Carr and Cindy Verbalin. And we're talking about Dawn Wells, my dear friend. Was she um, a little apprehensive when the show, when she first got hired to do the role? Did she think this was just going to be, ah, it's maybe going to last a year. It doesn't have much hope. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's people new, you know. Professionals never know. How we've spoken previously about Mary Martin. You get Mary Martin and a great composer. How did that show fail? But they did. You get Lucille Ball in a sitcom in the 1980s. How could that possibly fail? But it did. Likewise, there are things that become very popular. People think, what the hell is this? And it turns out to be an enormous hit. So actors realize until the show is on the air, until the audience responds to it, we don't know. There, there is a, a humorous term in show business. It got started in vaudeville and in summer stock. And the, the answer is, if you're a hit, you can send out your laundry. Hmm. We're going to be in town long enough for them to do your laundry and for you to get it back. We're not getting canceled. So that was, that was what happened with Gilligan's Island. They, they didn't know. And then it's like, all right, guys, we can relax. Send your laundry out. We're going to be here. I think the bigger surprise was not that it became a hit, but that it got canceled. Yeah, I was going to wonder about that. That was 1967, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. It only ran for three years. And I believe getting back to the pilot that was actually filmed the day Kennedy was shot. The original yeah. pilot, not the pilot, not the uh, episode. It's the first episode of the show. No. But the original pilot. It's a funny thing about that day where, where our dear president was killed. Uh, the pilot of Gilligan's Island was being shot. They didn't do it all in one day. It was being shot. The pilot of Bewitched was being shot. There was a lot. There were a lot of shows that were filming that day, uh, especially pilots. Whoops, folks! I almost dropped my microphone. That's why I went whoops. And we're going to keep that in because great lie. Um, so yes, the original pilot was being done during the week of. November when the president was assassinated. Dawn was not a part of that. There was a whole thing on television at that time, a real dichotomy. We were heading deeply into Vietnam. President Kennedy was assassinated. The marching and sometimes rioting, the civil rights was happening. Women were starting to demand to be treated equally. They were starting to go into the workplace and not be housewives unless they wanted to. The problem was television didn't know how to reflect what was happening in the world. What was happening in the world, the Cold War, it's a little too serious and too frightening to make fun of. So there was this push on television. My Favorite Martian, Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, The Munsters, The Addams Family, Gilligan's Island, My Mother, The Car. Green Acres. Green Acres. This push for shows that were not really based in anything that could be reality based. They were fantasy shows. See, Pettico Junction, you brought up Green Acres. Pettico Junction mm. could happen. Green Acres couldn't happen. Right. Uh -huh. The things yeah, that's not on the show could not really happen, but 
what happened in Pinnacle Junction could. So there was this huge fad that lasted from about 1963 to right about 1967, 68. There were still a few shows that came and went. I think the last one was The Girl with Something Extra with Sally Field, but she had ESP. All of these fantasy shows, fantasy shows. And Gilligan's Island was one of them. It got on the air and it became much more successful than anyone could have hoped for. It started its first season in black and white. It brought the show back in color. It was even more successful in color. For the third season, they began to add things to it. Uh, they now had a car they made on their own. They now had newer things on the island to play with. And they were going to go into a fourth season. There was no cancellation. Oh my goodness, let's have a goodbye party. They ended the season. See you in September. I'll see you in August when we start filming episodes again. So CBS released its schedule. And the president, the founder of CBS was a man named William Taylor. And his wife's name was Babe. And Babe saw the schedule and said, where's Gunsmoke? And he said, well, we canceled it. It's been on the air now for you know, 10 years. It's gotten old. She said, no, I want Gunsmoke back. Nothing succeeds like pillow talk. Well, so the programming people had to go, well, if we bring Gunsmoke back, we got to get rid of two shows. They were going to put Gilligan's Island on Monday nights right before Lucy. Can you imagine the ratings that hour would have had back to back? Oh, my. Wow. And um, on Monday nights, a fixture on Monday nights. What they did was they canceled a pilot that never got on the air, that was going to be on the air, and they canceled Gilligan's Island and gave that hour before Lucy to Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke ran another eight seasons after that because being tied to Lucy brought them up way up in the, in the, in the uh, weekly ratings. It gave them a second life, but to give them life, Gilligan's Island died. Hmm. Wow. So, you know, before Dawn, you know, started on Gilligan's Island, I was reading her bio a little bit. Now, she was on a ton of other TV shows, too. And I think uh, maybe some of her fans perhaps may have forgotten about the Joey Bishop show. You know? She did sitcom work. She did Bonanza. She did Western. She did a lot of Westerns. Cheyenne, she did? Yeah. And, and she made some films where she met Barbara Eden, who became... Dawn felt that Barbara was not her closest friend, but her closest show business friend. Uh, the person that she leaned on for advice, because Barbara had been around five or six years longer in show business than, than Dawn had. And they were obviously very, very close right up to the end. So, so Dawn had worked. Dawn was a known actor. She you know, was a member of the union. She'd been on television all over the place. She'd made films. She had not become a star, but she was well-known enough to get the audition and book Gilligan's Island. Huh. Did she have any, um, did she have any problems, inter internal problems that she wanted more of a role on Gilligan's Island. Did she ever share that with you, that she felt that her character should have went in a different direction, perhaps? Not at all. Not at all. She understood the parameters of what the show was about. Uh, 
as the show went on, Marianne's parts got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So she didn't mind that at all. You have to understand the show was called Gilligan's Island. You know, we've heard the story, if you haven't heard the story about Tina Louise on the show, and Tina Louise who played Ginger was starring on Broadway with Carol Burnett in the Julie Stein musical. And Tina's agent came to her and said, you're being offered a starring role in a sitcom by yourself, out of your contract, and let's go to Hollywood and get rich. And you had to do that. If you were in an ongoing show and you had a contract, a run-of-the-play contract, if you wanted to leave it, you had to buy your way out because they were going to have to go to the trouble of replacing you. And Tina does that, leaves a hit or a semi-hit, and goes to California to do this. And they're sitting around the table doing the read of the first real script, the first episode of the show. And pages and pages and pages go by. She says, excuse me, uh, we've gone like to 16 pages. I'm the star of the show. I haven't said a word yet. And wonderful Natalie Shaver looks at her and goes, tell me, Dia, didn't the name Gilligan's Island give you a clue? <laughs> So they all knew that Bob was the star of the show and the relationship between Bob and Alan was the anchor of the show. But all of them got a chance to shine. They all got a chance to sing and dance. They all had entire episodes around them. Uh, no one was left out of episodes. It was an ensemble show with Alan and Bob at the center of it. Dawn adored Bob Denver. She adored Alan Hale. She adored Natalie Schaefer. She respected Jim Backus, but they weren't terribly close friends. She told a wonderful story about uh, the first season. Quite often, Jim would ask Natalie and Dawn to go to lunch with him. And somehow, every day, he'd forget his wallet. And Natalie picked up the check. Because Natalie made more, a lot more money than Dawn did. The end of the first season, Natalie handed Jim a piece of paper and he said, what's this? This is the bill for all the lunches you didn't pay for. And made him pay. <laughs> no. So Don and Bob, Don and Alan, Don and Natalie remained friends after Gilliland's Island was done. Where Don had tremendous respect for Jim Backus's talent and learned from him. They were not terribly close personal friends. Dawn and Tina got along about as well as Tina did with anybody else on the show. Tina realized she'd been had by her agent that her thriving career on Broadway had been shot. Because once you do that, no one wants to hire you again on Broadway. And she was stuck with this Marianne, a ginger thing rather, and resented the show, resented her agent, resented Sherwood, and distanced herself from the show Thereafter, only once did she come back and do a reunion thing, just once. Uh, other than that, there were two Gilligan's Island cartoon series and Dawn ended up doing the parts of Ginger and Marianne because Tina wouldn't do them. And then there were three Gilligan's Island reunion movies. They had to bring in a different actress to play, to play uh, Ginger because Tina wouldn't do it. And you know the truth, Tina couldn't do it. Time was not great to Tina in her looks. 
Uh, if you watch Tina in early 1970s TV movies, the voluptuous body got very thin, her face got drawn, she aged like way too fast. I don't know what the problem was. She's still alive, but where Dawn still looked like Marianne, even at 82, and she looked like and she looked like her first thing in the morning. Six o'clock in the morning with her hair pulled up and no makeup, Dawn was beautiful. I can attest to that. And sexy. I can attest to that too. With Tina, the glamour was gone. So they may have had to replace Tina anyway. The show is Hitting the Mark. I'm the Mark, Jeffrey Mark. And I'm here with my friends, Ray Carr and Cindy Verbalin. And we're talking about Dawn Wells, my dear friend. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verbalin and the star of our show, Jeffrey Mark. The show is called Hitting the Mark. What was uh, Dawn's relationship with Russell Johnson? Dear, close friends. Um, it is not a secret that I am almost 32 years clean and sober and that I had tremendous problems with alcohol and marijuana. Russell also had a substance problem and I met Russ early in my getting better. He was a small part of my getting better. Russell and Dawn remained close and uh, what most people don't know is that Russ had a gay son who died of AIDS fairly early on. Mm. Uh, that's, why, that's why Russ got sober, to deal with. And uh, so, so Russell became uh, an advocate for people with HIV. He became an advocate for gay rights. He became an advocate for people getting clean and sober. And Dawn really respected that. And she loved him. She just thought he was smart and handsome and good. Russell, not, not the professor, Russell. And uh, I spoke to Russell last about six months before he died. And he was still just so full of love for Dawn, not necessarily the romantic way. They both, they each found each other physically attractive, don't get me wrong. But there was a love of two old friends who really appreciated each other. I always thought that Russell Johnson was very underrated on Gilligan's Island. I, I would, would have liked to see him had, after the show, the series ended, to go on and do bigger and better things. Well, he did other, lots of other things before the show. Uh, Russell did some Alfred Hitchcock. He did some Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah. He was all over early television and, early, and, and 50s and 60s films. But like many people who are on a hit sitcom, especially one that's kind of sort of a fad. He got typecast. He would walk into auditions and, hey, if you're so smart, how come you couldn't fix the boat? Yeah, yeah that's the biggest joke. He can make a car. He can, he can make, you know, electronic equipment. He can fix the radio, but he can't fix a hole in a boat. Well, because they wouldn't have had a show otherwise. That's the answer. It's a show. Uh, to have a show any show, it, you have to suspend your disbelief. You know, Cary Grant cannot really go running through a cornfield and have a, an airplane right above him shooting bullets at him constantly and somehow he doesn't get shot. 
It's mm-hmm. I love Lucy. Lucy and Ethel put too much yeast in the bread dough. And somehow the bread comes out of the oven three feet longer than the oven is deep. Yeah. That's impossible. <laughs> Ethel climbed over top of the Empire State Building and walk on the outside of the perimeter. That's impossible, but we suspend that because we want to be entertained. Right. But, you know, how many big movies did Lucille Ball make that was not some version of the Lucy character once she was doing Lucy? Not very many. And when she strayed too far, critics didn't like it. Even someone as big as that. When you're on the air playing a character week after week after week after week in people's homes, they, they, they expect you to be that character. Mm-hmm. And it, it isn't so. Nobody is that character. They're actors playing a part that is written by somebody else, directed by somebody else, and they're doing the best they can. Yeah, but Alan Hale did spend a lot of his life like locked in the fact that he played Skipper, right? Alan's father was a movie star. Alan, Alan Hale. Alan a, Hale Jr. Skipper. Yeah, Alan Hale. His father was a mm-hmm. big movie star at Warner Brothers. Alan grew up in the business. He knew the ins and outs. He knew what to expect. He mm-hmm. wasn't all about celebrityhood. He grew up a celebrity. He grew up with famous, famous, famous. He grew up with fan magazines in his house. He took his work seriously. He didn't take himself seriously. He knew that he was a big blonde guy and how many parts were really gonna come his way that allowed him to shine. So yeah, he didn't mind the typecasting. He used the typecasting to make money. The same way Al Lewis, who played Grandpa in the Munsters, did the mm-hmm. same thing. He was happy to be Grandpa the rest of his life. It brought him fame. It brought him fans. Both of them opened restaurants and used their fame to make a lot of money. Alan Hale Jr. loved his fans, loved interacting with them as the skipper. Some people love that. And then there are people like Tina Louise who want to distance themselves as far from it as possible. Yeah. Where did that get her? Strange. Well, she's still alive. Well, but, uh, you could be alive if you're not happy, you know, and you're not satisfied with what you've done. What good is it? Dawn went so far as to write her book, What Would Marianne Do? Mm-hmm. Because she felt that there was a moral shift in this country. Now, I'm not talking Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. It's not that. She kind of agreed with Steve Allen that the country was getting dumbed down, that we were losing our civility to one another, we were losing good manners to one another, we were losing good citizenship. And these are the things she felt Marianne stood for. And I will tell you that although I do not get any credit, I was a part of that book. I was a part of the writing of that book. Oh. And um, you didn't know that. And I did. I did happily because I adored Dawn. Dawn was a wonderful friend to me. Dawn gave me incredibly good advice that helped my career, and she gave me incredibly good advice that helped my personal life. I I feel Dawn was a very wise woman. Maybe she didn't always make the wisest choices for herself, 
but she she knew wisdom when she saw it and, and she knew how to give it. She gave great advice to a lot of people. Yeah. So tell me something about Dawn that the average fan of Dawn Wells would, would not know about her that's positive. Good heavens to Betsy. I, I thought everything I've been saying so far would that be things that the average fan wouldn't know. Well, no, they were great things, believe me. And they were, you know, but I, is, there, is there like a uh, favorite uh, particular movie that she just fell in love with? Like I have a favorite movie that I watch all the time. She has some kind of a favorite record album or you know, favorite color or something of that nature that nobody knew about. Dawn had such eclectic tastes in things. And depending on her mood and what she was involved with, you know, what was her favorite play? The play she's in right now. What's the favorite mm -hmm. movie? The movie she's making right now. Mm -hmm. There's the favorite place to travel to, the place she's traveling to right now. Uh, I know she loved It's a Wonderful Life. She loved sentimental movies. She loved great acting. She loved to watch television news. So th there she and I are very different. I refuse to watch news programs. She wanted to know what was going on right this second, all the time. She was glued to television news. Uh, she liked to walk, talk, watch talk shows where the host was smart, where the host didn't allow for baloney. She would watch that kind of a show. Her musical tastes were all over the place. The Great American Songbook, you know, Sinatra, Ella, Tony Bennett, that kind of music. She liked to listen to it and dance to it. She loved to cook when she had the time. But there wasn't a, a one thing because she really was, there were so many ingredients in her recipe. The answer, any answer I'd give you would be too simplistic and not really honest. There was one thing that I remember vividly, many things actually about Gilligan's Island, but when, um, Marianne, Ginger, and Mrs. Howell turned into the honeybee. Mm, yeah. You need us. That was, that was one of my favorites. You need us. You need me, yeah. And, and Dawn loved doing it. Where else, she said, could you be on a sitcom and get to learn choreography and sing with, with an orchestra and, and do that kind of thing you know, in the middle of an uncharted desert island? Um, she enjoyed the variety and she enjoyed flexing her muscles and doing things perhaps she hadn't done before. Dawn often shows when she, she did tons and tons and tons of summer stock stuff. She traveled the United States and Canada constantly doing plays and she looked for things she hadn't done before. Playing the prostitute, playing the unwed mother, playing a bitchy woman, not the sweet girl. Uh, she toured with Marsha Wallace in The Odd Couple with the two of huh? them playing the two parts. Oh, yeah. The Pigeon Sisters, yeah. No, no, no. They played... They played oh, Felix they played Oscar. Felix and Oscar. Yeah. Neil Simon oh. rewrote the play for women. And they mm -hmm. did a version of it on Broadway. And uh, Dawn and Marsha Wallace were very good friends, as, as Marsha and I were. And... Uh, they toured the country doing that. Uh, she did a musical. She, they're playing our song. She'd never she sung. She did? She'd never sung on a stage before. Because she said she can't sing. 
she couldn't you wouldn't want to hear a Don Wells album. <laughs> well, to be in a musical, you need to be able to project the notes, hit them. The quality of the singing sometimes doesn't matter. Um, and they're playing our song, which is a wonderful score. Mm -hmm. It and is. I starred my friend Lucy Arnaz on Broadway. Um, mm -hmm. the, 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 the music is kind of pop. It leans more to pop than to classic Broadway music. So it, it didn't require Dawn to be Ethel Merman or Shirley Jones or, you know, anybody with a huge trained voice. And she loved she loved that she could stretch. The other thing I heard was that Marianne was based on Judy Garland. Is that true? No. Okay, because I've read it. Actually, I read it when I was doing a slideshow for The Wizard of Oz and said the, char the character of Marianne was based on, on, oh, sorry, Dorothy. I think there was, because Rocky Kalish and I discussed, and, and Al Schwartz and I discussed this at length in, in the making of the character, the look was a little bit like Dorothy. The original look was kind of this pigtail gingham kind of thing. Unfortunately, the minute she wore those hot pants, that became the look and the, mm -hmm. the Dorothy thing went, but so, so not the character, I think just the visual presence originally was to have her look a little bit like Dorothy from Oz. That she came out of Kansas, innocent and good, but uh, the character wasn't based, just the look. Okay. I'm Cindy Verbalink. I'm here with Ray Carr and star of our show, Jeffrey Marr. And this is Hitting the Mark. And this week we are talking about Don Wells.